1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to the second of two bootleg episodes this week. We are in the NFC today doing a slight recap on the uh, the wild card weekend that was, although I know this is coming out on like a Friday, so I'm sure you guys have heard everything possible about those games already, so we'll keep that part quick and uh, spend most of today doing a deep dive into the meat and the nuts and bolts of these divisional round
2: matchups. But before we get to all that, EJ, my wonderful partner, Fred, co-host, how you doing? I'm good, but I'm I'm of two minds right now, literally of two minds. One is NFL playoffs, going to the Super Bowl. And the other one is draft. So when somebody says a name or a stat, I'm like, is that the TCU kid? <laughs> oh, no, that's the Nickelback for the Eagles. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, my brain is, is sort of schematically in two places at once which is never a good thing uh but excited to talk about these games we had great games in the nfc side maybe maybe more surprising games uh than we did on the afc side and uh, excited to look forward to the field that's left for the nfc to see who's going to represent them in the super bowl as we have i think some of the players that we thought we were going to have at the beginning of the year in that mix um one that we definitely did not think was going to be in that mix, and that makes it fun too. Um, one quick thing that
1: I want to hit on before we get to the wildcard recaps and the divisional round previews because I know our audience would kill us if we didn't mention it. Um, as of about 10 minutes before we started recording, Greg Roman got uh relieved of his duties, parted ways, whatever you know, nice way you want to phrase it in Baltimore. I think that this was a a very unanimous reaction around the football world of it was time. Um, Greg Roman did some great things, especially in terms of, at least in my opinion, did some great things in terms of allowing Lamar to acclimate to the NFL, you know, in his own way. Um, And I think that, you know, kind of using that dynamic rushing attack in like 2018, 2019, um, you know, to kind of augment everything as Lamar was was learning and growing and developing as a passer and all that kind of stuff so the offense was still functional before Lamar became like one of the better passing quarterbacks as well you know led the league in passing touchdowns all that kind of stuff unanimous MVP but kind of getting him through those early bumps and hurdles with the run game I think was one of the best things that ever happened to Lamar for his career um, because it just kind of got him through that period but we never grew beyond that you know it's like we got to okay Lamar's a super weapon now what can we maximize his arm just like we do his legs and the answer was no and so I think it's time to bring in somebody who can maximize his arm as well in addition to doing some of the fun run game stuff who that is I have no
2: idea but I think everybody agreed that it was it was time for Roman to move on Yeah, you said did some things, and I will change that and say I think Greg Roman does some great things, but it's the breadth of those things. Greg Roman's running game, and we have said this over and over again, and some facets of his passing game, specifically the tight end passing game, and I don't just mean Mark Andrews, because Ravens tight ends have been productive outside of Mark Andrews, so there are pieces of what Greg Roman does that are awesome. Are they enough to be an OC and run the entire offensive half of a football team? And the answer is, I think we've seen what he can do, and there wasn't a lot of change there. The Ravens were very consistent. They were consistent at the things they did really, really well, and they were also consistent at the things they did really, really poorly, and that didn't change. That makes them predictable, and predictability is, is not what you want in the NFL. If a defensive coordinator can come in saying, how do you stop the Ravens, and everybody pulls up the same script and goes this, this, and this, and they can do it, and they do do it year after year. The Ravens have not advanced. Yeah, it's time for change. It's time to augment some of those things, shake it up use some of the strengths, and change some of those strengths. And the change piece was the piece that Roman couldn't overcome as a all-encompassing offensive coordinator. I think he lands somewhere as a run game coordinator very, very quickly because his run game concepts, blocking concepts, very good. As an offensive coordinator, I would just say sort of not fully formed Uh, or or not willing to adapt to the way the league was going so it's time I'm excited for Baltimore fans as to what they get to see next year we don't know what that is but it'll be uh something we talk about a lot in the offseason preview series because it's a big big change for Baltimore Roman's been there a while Harbaugh's very loyal to his guys and this represents a major shift and we have no idea
1: um at this moment in time who will be throwing the ball in Baltimore next year um whether that's Lamar, you know, whether they can get a deal worked out. If if they can't get a deal worked out, then they have to trade him because there there's a lot of nuance to whether or not they even can extend Lamar based on how billionaire finances like work. Um, and that's for another day. We'll we'll see what happens with Lamar. But um, as of right now, there's at least going to be a major change on the coordinator side, and we'll we'll see what happens with quarterback. If again, if I was the Ravens, I would keep Lamar, but there's a there's a lot of hoops you got to jump through before you can do that financially so we'll see um let's get to these wild
0: card round the spirit of performance is what defines acura and now it's electric introducing the zdx acura's most powerful suv yet crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple imsa championships the ZdX has track tested performance that packs an energy all its own unlock the energy and order yours at acura.com
1: recaps and we'll kind of get through these a little bit quickly because I know it's like Friday people have people have heard a lot about these games already but we we still want to give our thoughts starting with Seahawks 49ers what really kind of blew me away with this game was that San Francisco did not even look in sync for Half of it, and they still put up 40 points. Purdy was a bit shaky early, actually a, a lot shaky early. Um, there was some ball placement issues. There was a, a clip that kind of went viral where he threaded the ball—well, I use the term loosely—threaded the ball, uh, you know, down the boundary in between the corner and the safety, and everybody's like, "Oh my god, that was an amazing throw!" No, it was not. He left it way too far inside. That was a hospital ball waiting to happen, and he got lucky that his receiver. Uh, you know, was able to walk away from that one. It was not a good throw. And he, he had some accuracy issues early on. And, you know, whether that was because it was his first playoff game, there was inclement weather, maybe there was nerves. I have no idea, but he was shaky. I think we can acknowledge that. And they still put up like 17 points in the first half and they still ended up putting up 40 because once he settled in, you know, in the second half and, and he, he, You know became solid again not like spectacular but solid this team is so ridiculously talented and so well schemed that there's almost nothing you can do about them when they get going from any personnel grouping whether it's 21 22 12 13 11 like they they every single personnel grouping they roll out there has a bunch of trained killers on it like that is how talented they are that they can run anything from anything And it's almost impossible to stop unless you can match talent for talent on defense. And one of the only defenses that can do that is the 49ers. So it's it's a ridiculous threshing machine. And then one more note on Purdy. This game was a great example of another reason why I think this offense has been operating better with him than it was with Jimmy and to a degree with Trey, even though we didn't get to see much of Trey. The ability for Purdy to avoid the negative plays. It's not necessarily the explosive offensive plays. It's the ability for him to avoid the negative, avoid sacks, avoid turnovers, avoid going backwards that then sets up McCaffrey and Depot and Kittle and Iuke to to kind of do all the other stuff after the catch. But like how he gets out of sacks with that quickness, I mean, the one the 5 10-yard split shows up every single time. He's in a messy pocket because he is really hard to get on the ground. And if you miss him and he gets outside, he's got good field vision where he can then kind of like, you know, it's not Joe Burrow. But Joe Burrow does the same things where it's like you miss him once and then he can find a guy down the field. Purdy does the same thing at like a very, very way less ridiculous level. But he still does some of the same things. And so I think that, again, his ability to avoid those negative plays like Burrow and turn them at least into minor positives is what really has turned this offense up to 11. So they're talented everywhere. They can run everything. Their defense is amazing. Their quarterback, when he's not making mistakes, is guiding them to 40-point to, to games when it feels casual.
2: I don't know what you're supposed to do about it, man. I really don't. You're not supposed to do a lot. Robert Mays called the 49ers on Twitter a tsunami, and he's Mm -hmm. right. They are a team that will overwhelm you on both sides of the ball. There's talent everywhere. They're as well coached as any team in the NFL on both sides of the ball, and that is a very, very potent combination, one that can overcome some messy or shaky early QB play. Our buddy Ted Wynn said on Twitter that uh, we can say both things can be true, that the the 49ers offense is the most quarterback-friendly offense in terms of support. We talked about how difficult it is mentally, so not friendly necessarily that way, but all the support. You have a great offensive line. You are surrounded by top-tier offensive talent everywhere you turn, and that he's playing well right that the offense is supporting him and that he's playing well both things are true it's not that purdy is lifting this offense it is that he is operating it very well and he is avoiding the negative he is keeping this offense ahead of the sticks and every offense no matter how well it's schemed or how well it's staffed likes to stay ahead of the sticks third and short is a lot better than third and long for any offense out there and any coach will tell you that Purdy is doing that, and then some, because he has some extra little bit of sauce. He was shaky early in this game. He is a little bit messy. And one of the things that I thought about in re-watching these games is how close, and it's not that they're the same, they are different, how close Purdy and Tyler Huntley are and how much situation around them matters. Because we said the same thing about Tyler Huntley in our AFC preview. He's a little messy. Right? It was not super pretty. Not all the things he did were great, but he kept his team in contention. And Purdy is that way as well, but his situation is so much better that they roll up 40 in that case. They don't lose by a touchdown. They roll up 40 and, and sort of win going away. Yes, escapability is a thing, but he will do things like leave that ball inside. His balls flutter a little bit when he throws them. Um, he will throw a little bit late or a lot late in a play and make something happen. So it's not always pretty, but it is very, very effective. And at this point, I don't know how you counter that effectiveness. The Seahawks triumvirate of the folks we said needed to play well. Gino, DK, and Kenneth Walker all played really well. Yeah. <laughs> they had good games. Wasn't enough. <laughs> but that's, that's sort of a valiant effort that doesn't amount to anything because you're just overmatched everywhere on the field. And given the relative position of where these two teams are in their sort of building and development, yeah, it makes sense. That's kind of what we said is the Seahawks are going to have to play perfectly and the Niners are going to have to screw up. And those things didn't happen, and the game ended up the way the game ended up. Speaking of screwing up, by the way, let's get to Giants-Vikings,
1: <laughs> which was an upset that I think uh, everybody saw coming. I mean, I, I i made it clear before this game that I expected the Giants to win, and they won. And it, it actually felt kind of a, you know, regardless of what the score said, it felt like a more comfortable win than, than what the scoreboard said. Like, we were about 20 minutes of game clock into that game, and I was like oh my god they can't stop him because the Giants run game was rolling they heavily involved Daniel Jones in it he played phenomenally well that that's one of the best games I've ever seen Daniel Jones play both on the ground and through the air you know Saquon was Saquon uh the run designs which we talked about last last week uh, the, the the design and the artistry of the run game was back but they had it going through not just Saquon, but also through Daniel Jones. And then, you know, once we're kind of done with those those body blows with quarterback and running back, then we got, you know, Darius Slayton working the crosses. We got, well, Richie James should have had another big one on third down. But, like, he was getting involved. Hodgins making some amazing catches um, and bailing them out on some key third downs. Um, Bellinger got involved. Like, it it was a well-oiled machine on the ground and through the air. I will say still slightly concerned that they did not throw a single pass over 20 yards down the field. I really wish that they would try to get a little bit more explosive through the air, you know, uh, with air yards, not just yards after the catch. Because I think against a better defense, they are going to have to take some shots. And we'll talk about that when we get to the Eagles-Giants matchup. But against Minnesota specifically, it was a great game plan. It worked for them. Danny had probably one of, if not the best game of his career when he needed it most. And I kind of felt like early in the second quarter, there there was nothing the Vikings could do uh, to, to win this game. I felt like they were getting bullied up and down the field. Dexter Lawrence was massacring people inside. I just felt like, you know, the Giants were peaking and, and, the, and the Vikings were, were bottoming out in the exact same week. And
2: unfortunately, it was something that I think we all kind of saw coming a little bit. Back in December, I said that Minnesota were paper tigers and that they, we called them one-trick ponies and paper tigers, and that they were pretenders and that they had this excellent record. But when things got tough, things got late in the season, that they were probably going to fold. Because somebody was going to find a way to shut down that single trick, which is the long passing game from Cousins to Jefferson and to a lesser extent to Osborne. But that was what I said in the preview is if that's not occurring, if you see them having to make contested throws underneath to Hawkinson and Thielen, they're in a bad spot. Mm -hmm. They were in a bad spot from early on. A tremendous effort. From Wink in the defense, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But we have to we have to lead with Daniel Jones. We led the preview with Daniel Jones. We got to lead the review with Daniel Jones, which is we spent a lot of time talking about why Daniel Jones's arm was not the reason the Giants are in this spot. So of course, in Coleman Curse fashion, he had to go off, mm. absolutely go off. Best game of his professional career: 301 passing, two touchdowns, no picks, which has always been a bugaboo for him along with the 78 yards worth of rushing, which were huge. So all credit to Danny. I'm not going to say anything else about that besides have a day, young guy. He went nuts, and it showed he carried this team. On to the defensive side. So while Jones is glowing up the offense and playing better than we've seen him play all year, Wink's defense delivered. They had to shut down the trick, and boy, did they Justin Jefferson 7 for 47 Osborne 2 for 20 Mm -hmm. Hawkinson as you mentioned Hawkinson was the only thing keeping them in the game offensively (laughs) and in the preview show I said that the Giants would accept that Mm -hmm. like that if Hawkinson got his yards they would live with that because it wasn't going to kill him and Hawkinson went nuts 10 for 129 12.9 per great game didn't really pull the Vikings out of anything want to talk for a second about the interior defensive line for the Giants and how it just folded the Minnesota offense in half. Mm -hmm. Like Dexter Lawrence in particular. Team high, eight pressures in the Giants' first playoff win since 2011. I know Big Blue Faithful are waiting for that. How long has it been? 2011. Five aligned as a zero tech. Now zero technique means head up on the center. Dead straight solid. That is not a position or an alignment that defensive coordinators typically count on any pressures from. If you get one or two in a game, it's really good from that alignment because you are always running into some form of double team and you're going straight up. There's no shade. There's usually not a stunt for that guy. It's just stand up and take a beating. Well, Dexter Lawrence is doing the other thing. He was standing up and giving a beating. He's generated 29 pressures aligned as a zero tech. 20 20 pressures for an interior defensive lineman. Any kind. Three tech. Uh, More than two a game. Yeah, Is outstanding. Damn near 30 from lined up straight on, head on on the center is unheard of. That's rare air. There just aren't guys that do that. You can't name any because there aren't any. That's 21 more than any other player this year. So he had 29, and it's 21 more than anybody else. It's like when you see those graphs and there's that one statistical outlier way up top and to the left, that's Dexter Lawrence this year. And it showed time and time again against Minnesota. He's pushing the center into the backfield in Cousins' lap. He's folding guys, taking on double teams, and still getting pressure on the passer. Unreal performance by him. As if, good as Daniel Jones was on the offense, Dexter Lawrence was on the defense. If you do the math, by the way, so on that top five list, uh, you know, Dexter's first with
1: 29, which is absurd. Raquan Davis from Miami is second at eight. Christian Wilkins, also from Miami, is third at seven. Devon Godshaw is at six. He's fourth. And Calais Campbell is fifth at sixth. Um, so Dexter Lawrence has more pressures from zero technique Than the next four guys on the list combined. That is utterly absurd. And all those guys, by the way, are are either really good shades or three (laughs) techniques. Like you know, uh, Wilkins is is a three technique that they'll they'll put at nose like specifically on third down and then like stunt him. So it's not even like he's being put in position where he has to take on double teams and run through them and stuff like that. Like Dexter does. Like he he is absurd. He is absolutely absurd it's one of the best seasons for any defensive interior defensive lineman that I have ever seen I, I mean truly and I know that we're used to seeing crazy pressure numbers from Chris Jones and Aaron Donald at three technique or they'll play five sometimes they'll put him out on the edge like we've seen Chris Jones this year um you know put him out at edge and just say go run through the right tackle Dexter Lawrence doesn't get to do that. <laughs> he he is inside every single down. And and they say go hunt. And he hunts. He's just he's incredible. He really is incredible. I I can't remember if he was all pro or not this year, but he he should have been. He should have been. He should have been. He been. He's on my all pro team, that's for damn sure. Um but yeah, overall, I just The Vikings lived and died by Kirk. And, and Justin Jefferson and to a lesser degree KJ Osborne keeping them in games with explosive pass plays. And when you take that away, they they don't have another punch. They just don't. And, you know, TJ Hawkinson, as you mentioned, did his thing. You know, Dalvin had like 60 yards on the ground. Um, you know, the defensive front for the Giants did a really good job kind of bottling him up and limiting explosives because Dalvin is very much a home run hitter. Either he gets it all or he gets nothing these days. Um and it's just it's they're not a complete team yet. I know they were like 11 and 0 in one score games, but you got to remember some of those one score games were really weird. You know, the Bills fumbled an exchange on their own goal line. Like they were dead to rights in that game and something that almost never happens happened. The Colts had to literally blow the largest lead in NFL history to get them to 13 and 4. Like the they're a good team, but they had serious flaws. And all we were trying to do was trying to get people to acknowledge those serious flaws, that their defense sucks and their offense was way too one-dimensional with Kirk and Jefferson. And if that wasn't working, they had nothing else. And unfortunately for them, it wasn't working in this game, and they had nothing else. So what can you do? Uh, we're driven by the search for better.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast.
1: Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, let's get to the third wild card game of the weekend in the NFC. This one was not a fair fight at all, which is kind of unfortunate that it was like the lone Monday game. You know, maybe maybe people were... We're expecting a little bit more out of the Bucs. Uh, I mean, I, I certainly was. Like I I knew they were banged up, but putting them on the field against a pissed off, super talented Cowboys team that was coming off their worst game of the year against the Commanders, the lack of available, healthy talent for the Bucks was made apparent almost immediately, and it was not a fair fight. Uh, Lenny's legs looked done. He's only 27, but he looks completely gassed. Tom can't move, obviously, at his age, and he was making really dumb throws out of desperation because he couldn't extend plays uh, and kind of work the ball down the field like a lot of other younger, modern quarterbacks can. Godwin and Evans, you know, they're being held together by duct tape at this point. The offensive line was beaten up. Like, Ryan Jensen battled back through rehab the entire year just for this game, but he still didn't look all the way back. Um you know it just it it was a rough watch and you know by about late first quarter early second quarter i was already kind of just on to next week and thinking about cowboys 49ers cuz i i saw no path where the bucks were going to be competitive after seeing what was taking place on the field and yeah for the next 3 quarters after that they were not
2: competitive it not to be unexpected right this is a this is a sub 500 team representing uh you know their division in the playoffs because divisional winners get a playoff spot in any other year or in a sort of more rational system where wins actually did matter they probably wouldn't have been Mm -hmm. and unfortunately everything we hoped for about the bucks chances here were dependent on things that weren't the case Health, first and foremost. I texted you during the game and said, Godwin is so hurt right now. He was getting up from every collision, like holding his shoulder, not moving his arm, gritting his teeth. All credit to him for trying to play through it. He was nowhere near 100%. I, w- I would bet he's probably not even near 50%. He's still out there on the NFL field trying to make plays for his quarterback, trying to get his team going. There wasn't anything that was working. And on the defensive side, no answers, none. Dak, much like Daniel Jones, who we said, oh, has been a gambler and has been inconsistent, just needed to come out and be razor sharp. Best game I've seen Dak play in a couple of years easily after the first quarter, after they sort of settled the nerves and got past the whole Cowboys don't play well on grass thing which in hindsight a lot of people said oh it's ridiculous it wasn't ridiculous when you looked at it pregame, but yeah during this game didn't make a hill of beans worth of difference mm-hmm. nothing he hit every opportunity the Bucs gave him and they gave him a bunch of opportunities I was if one thing stood out to me about the Bucks effort on both sides of the ball or not effort about their game on both sides of the ball was miscommunication defense on offense how many times did tom look at his wide receiver and go yeah you know and you don't typically see that from this team on either side bucks watchers who have been you know tracking this team all year are very familiar with that they knew this team was underachieving and not playing up to its potential on either side of the ball but dax day 305 passing four TDs, zero picks and looked masterful doing it again he didn't miss when things came open made tough plays he was on schedule kept them ahead of the sticks didn't really feel like he was gambling at all in this game after we spent what <laughs> he didn't ten need minutes. to <laughs> yeah spent what 10 minutes in the preview talking about how he did he was just surgical um other hits from the preview said pollard was the leading back over zeke pollard 15 for 77 at 5.1 zeke 13 for 27 at that's that that one played out it's time that that one played out just like we said uh and also called out the two leading Dallas receivers cd and schultz by a mile cd four for 68 and a touchdown but schultz again a little bit like hawkinson we're going to talk about this more as we talk about this week's matchup he was seven for 95 with two scores we said how important he was as that second step and that he was most definitively the second step in Dallas's passing attack. We saw that play out on the field as well. So Cowboys role, which is, I, I don't know, one of the biggest week to week swings we've seen in the NFL mm-hmm. from scoring like 11 against the commanders to completely destroying the bucks and looking like a complete powerhouse doing it. Um, you know, again, we learned things about both teams. Most of them, I guess, we probably already knew about Tampa. We thought they might have a little something in the bag. They didn't. They ran into a superior team playing better football at this time of year, and and this is the result. I, I mean, I don't
1: want to accuse the Bucks coaching staff of anything, but like the game plan that was on the field for them was of a coaching staff that was fucking checked out. Like, they called country cover three in the high red zone for one of those Schultz touchdowns. I think it was the first one. They called it from, like, a 22-yard line. It's like, why are we calling spot drop cover three, which is probably one of the worst coverages you can call in that area of the field because you literally just run the tight end up the seam and there's nobody carrying him and the safety can't nail down in time to take it away. Like, if you're between the 20s and there's time to make a tackle, fine, but, like, by the time that throw hits, he's on the goal line. Like, why are we calling cover three in the high red zone? It's stupid. Like, it, it's 2023. What are we doing here? Like, this is not the Legion of Boom. You can't do that. Uh, and they called it, and they and they gave up a touchdown immediately. So, I the coaching staff did no favors for any of these Bucks players. Uh, Byron Leftwich, by the way, on the offensive side, uh, got let go today. There's like at least seven Bucks assistants that are getting let go. If I recall correctly, it's five on offense, two on defense. I did not get which names yet as of the time of this recording, but they are doing major shakeups on the staff. Obviously sounds like Todd Bowles is safe, but they are, they're going to be hiring a lot of folks in the off season to try to patch whatever holes they feel they have at their coaching staff. But looking at the effort against the Cowboys, um, really not good game plans on either side of the ball. And I think that that showed like, injuries are one thing but can we call literally anything else in the red zone and cover three guys like come on you guys are pros well
2: spot drop in 2022 in the NFL it doesn't work nah like no. just don't but this was a team with major issues throughout the year and it weren't and you like you said not just injury issues uh you said last week that the vibes in the ravens building were messy The vibes in Tampa Bay's building are messier, if that's a thing. And they have been all year. Again, this team was not 500. This isn't like even like Minnesota that got those bounces and had a good record. They didn't even have a good record. Mm -hmm. There have been problems, sort of foundational, substantive problems all year, and they all showed up when they ran into a team that had very, (laughs) very many less of those. Let's just put it that way.
1: Let's get to our divisional round previews now, which, you know, is what a lot of you are here for. Starting off with Giants-Eagles. Going to be the first game that we see of Jalen Hurts in the playoffs this year. They got a much-needed buy to try to get healthy. As of the time of recording this, I'm not entirely sure what their injury report looks like because they're they're banged up in multiple areas, uh, both in the trenches and it's, you know... On the back end, it's they're not the healthiest they've ever been. But at the same time, it's still the Eagles. Even 80% of their roster is still one of the most talented teams in the entire league. And uh, as long as Jalen is okay, and the receivers are okay, and the defensive tackles are okay, they're probably still, I, I don't want to say uh, an impossible hill for the Giants to climb, but the talent differential between these rosters is notable and I, you know, the last time they played in a real game the last week of the season, I don't think counts because their starters rested and all that kind of stuff. When they actually played a real game, like a month ago, Eagles blew them out, completely swept them off the field. Uh, It was not close. And I'm not predicting that same result, but I do think that that score was very representative of the length that the giants still have to go to in roster building to match Philly. And Philly schematically is also a little bit of a nightmare for the Giants, which I think also contributed to that blowout because they do a lot of the things on defense that give the Giants problems, which is playing a bunch of big bodies up front. So if you're in 12 personnel, Giants tried to run uh, in that first matchup from 12 personnel early on. Uh, So the Eagles said, okay, we're going to play tight. We're going to play odd fronts. We're going to put three 315 plus pounders in the defensive line and dare you to move them. And after a little bit of early success, they couldn't do it. Like, they blew Javon Hargrave off the ball one time, and then uh, that was about it. They, they could not move him, so then they went to the 11 personnel stuff and said, okay, well, we're going to take one of your defensive linemen off the field and try to run uh, uh, against your, your nickel package. And nope, you're not moving Fletcher Cox, and, and you're not moving uh, – uh, I mean, Milton Williams made plays. You're not moving Hargrave backside. Like, they, they, they still couldn't really move him there either – But I also think what gave them even more problems was when they were in nickel, because they were trying to scheme up ways to get double teams by taking one of those defensive linemen off the field, when they were in nickel, you saw the Eagles linebackers just fly upfield, like completely disregarding everything. And they were just penetrating and penetrating and penetrating because they wanted to force those double teams to kind of you know, dissolve earlier because somebody's got to peel off to pick up a linebacker that's screaming into the backfield. And so if you can kind of make that double team disappear through pressure earlier than when it's uh, earlier than when you want to, then it doesn't really get to develop all the way. And then all of a sudden, guess what? Fletcher's back to being one-on-one. You know, Hargrave's back to being one-on-one. Milton's back to being one-on-one. And so it kind of creates the same problem you had against their base defense, which is we don't have the talent to win one-on-one, and we're creating one-on-ones through pressure. So it's, it's a very tough front to run on for that reason because they do a great job of not using the defensive line to keep the linebackers clean. They use the linebackers to keep the defensive line clean, or as clean as you can. And it's a, it's a really brilliant, brilliant way to play the run. On the back end, I'm sure you might be thinking, okay, well, if the linebackers are flying upfield, what about play action? You know, where where's the voids there that we can exploit? Well, the Eagles are one of these teams that plays a shitload of quarters because they can. They have two outside corners in Slay and Bradbury that are exceptional. Giants fans know Bradbury well. And so you can't really take shots deep down the boundary because they're going to they're gonna beat you. And then the safeties from that too high structure – If you're calling play action, you're trying to run crossing routes into the middle of the field to exploit that void and, you know, kind of use that leverage advantage against these outside corners. Well, the safeties are just going to come down and cut those crossers and blow your guys up. So you don't really have a whole lot of options here because you can't run the ball because they're basically playing the run on the way to the quarterback. And you can't get the play action game going because their outside corners are really good and their safeties are blowing up everything over the middle. It's such a tough defense to play against because the only way to beat it is to out-talent them. You need receivers on the outside that can beat Slay or Bradbury just a little bit. And if you don't have that, you're not going to get anywhere. So it's a really tough, tough thing for Brian Dable and Mike Kafka to try to scheme against. I don't know what they're going to do. I do know that... They're gonna have a plan. I just don't know what it is because I'm not a I'm not an NFL coach. And I, I really look forward to seeing what their plan is. But at least for me on paper right now, I don't know what they can do to to even this one up. There's just there's too
2: much of a talent differential. I don't know that even it up is necessarily the goal. They're gonna have to win some things that go their way. And for that particular route you're talking about outside, that you need good enough receivers who can beat those very good outside corners even a little bit you also need time Mm -hmm. and they will not have it the philadelphia defensive line will not allow the giants offensive line time enough for danny to go back sit wait for that wind to occur on the outside You talked about it when we did the Bengals preview that the only way you're going to beat that deep with an offensive line that we were talking about injuries in Cincinnati. We're just talking about talent differential with New York versus the Philadelphia D line is three step drop and heave it up. It's not not going to work. They're going to be about a step short. Mm -hmm. So Eagles defensive keys get that pass rush home. Even if Jones isn't coughing up the ball as much, and he's been much better about holding on to the ball and he's been hit this year, his fumbles have been way down, hitting him and getting to him, pressuring him, is going to keep him off those heights he had versus the Vikings. And for everybody that's, that's sort of buoyed by that success, that's a Giants fan, is like, yeah, but did you see what we did last week? It is hard to overstate how much better the Eagles are in pass rush than the Vikes. Mm-hmm. The Eagles are the number one in sack percentage in the NFL. Number one. By a lot, by the way. (laughs) The Vikings are 23rd. So all that success you had against Minnesota, yeah, absolutely. You did, and we gave Daniel Jones his props top of the podcast. Ain't going to be like that this week. Mm -hmm. Very, very different opponent on the other side of the ball. For the Giants' offensive key is what they can kind of do. I'm with you. There's not a lot, but they're gonna have to be weird they're gonna Mm -hmm. have to go out of the box they need to be ultra aggressive and go for it on fourth down and Dable and Kafka have been aggressive this year I think they need to turn that up to 11 they can't let it down maybe just don't punt once you're past your own 45 (laughs) and that sounds crazy but I'm if you're gonna go down go down swinging (laughs) here's why it sounds nuts especially in a playoff game Playoff traditionalists will be like, no, you tighten up, you punt away, you play the field position game. They can't. They'll lose. Philly has very few gaps in their defense. We just talked about how good it is as a unit and how talented it is. One of the very few gaps in their defensive armor is letting opponents convert fourth downs. They're 24th in the league. They allow about 60% of fourth downs to be converted. So when I say don't punt, I mean don't punt. Did you say 60%? Yes statistically you'd be stupid to punt if they're allowing 60 percent. this is what i'm talking about it is not a you know it is not a big window to exploit but it's something and the giants are going to need every possible opportunity and if that means going forward on fourth down when you're on the you know eagles 45 yard line And it's 4th and 3 or 4th and 4 where you typically go, "Mm, no, we're just going to put this one back and put it on our defense and let Dexter Lawrence do his thing. That's traditional thinking, and it's going to get you whooped versus a more talented team. Press them. See if you can get an extra series. You're going to need every chance. It's not a good one. This is not a, like, surefire way that the Giants beat the Eagles. This is a give yourself a couple of more shots and see if it works. I mean – it's it's
1: really kind of fascinated me how how simple the formula is both for and against Philly because I mean their offense is the same as their defense like they lead the league in <laughs> uh in taking shots down the sideline because they have A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith like you can like Jalen Hurst throws more boundary fades than anybody else because he has those receivers and I know they do a whole lot of the RPO stuff and, um, you know, they let Miles Sanders just absolutely tear people to shreds on inside zone because their offensive line is gigantic and they blow people off the ball. It's not a complicated offense. They're just better at it than everybody else. It's, it's actually kind of remarkably similar to the, uh, the Bengals approach last year of like, you know, fuck it, Jamar's down there somewhere and, and T's not far behind. It's the same kind of thing. And I think that uh, the the formula of of simplicity, but aggressiveness, is what has gotten them this far. And so, if I was the Giants, I'd probably do the same thing. Like, if we're gonna die, we're gonna die swinging. Like they're already playing with the house money. Everybody thought they were gonna be the worst team in the league. Well, not everybody. I don't think we did. Um, I can't recall what our projected <laughs> record was. It wasn't this.
2: It was not great, and it was last in the NFC East, maybe with, depending on how quickly it gelled with the commanders. We we basically said, we think they'll be third or fourth, they'll be fighting with the commanders for that spot, and it depends how quickly the Dable agenda gels within the thing as to whether or not they win maybe that we thought one extra game that gets them above the commanders. But but
1: my point is that it's house money regardless. Like nobody thought they were going to be
2: here. 100%. And I don't play scared. Just go for it. One of my points is run what you brung, right? Yeah. Danny and Saquon got you here. Don't go away from it. Like it's what you got. Give it a shot. Give it every shot you have. It's all you got left. Go for it. See if you can't surprise them. Not in with, you know, changing your offense. It's not the time for that. See if you can't surprise them on a couple of plays. It's going to be tough. going to be an uphill climb. That Everybody knows that from that December 11th matchup where they basically got doubled up, more than doubled up, mm-hmm. 48 to 22 or something. Um, you know, and at that point we said, this is the Giants seeing what real NFC power looks like. And, you know, regardless of the health issues on the Eagles side, I think that's true when we – switch to that Philly offense, I think Hertz is healthier than the Eagles are letting on. He's also mentally built for games like this. Like he's played so many of these games. This is, this is a very big game. Make no mistake. He's seen lots of very big games in his career. So I think Hertz comes out and gets on a roll early. Uh, I'd bet they pressure the edges of the New York D after they saw what Dexter Lawrence did last week. They're not stupid enough. They know him very well to just say, oh, we're going to try and pound Dexter Lawrence. Well, that seems like a really bad idea. So I I have them see, you know, heading out to the edges, using that speed and get that offensive line rolling early. The Giants are a bad run defense overall, 30th in yards per rush given up. So they're going to have to try and commit extra folks. Wink knows this. They're going to have to try and press down. If they do that, we just talked about the poison, right? Look, You've got Brown and Devonta Smith on the sides. You've got Goddard, who Giants have not been great at handling tight ends this year. So Goddard's looking at a pretty good day, most likely, especially if Hurts is healthy. Um, It's it's not really a good setup for the Giants. They are just going to have to sort of pick that poison and be willing to accept something. And the something's not going to be great because whoever they pick is going to be able to put up, you know, big yards and probably points to get them. If it was me, I'd be selling out on A.J. Brown. Like, Mm -hmm. and yeah, that means you have to live with a bunch of Smith. That means you probably have to live with a bunch of Goddard. I would rather that than be giving up 35, 45 yard chunks to AJ Brown down the field. I'm going to make them earn it a little bit more. Um, Watch out for Goddard. I've already mentioned him twice, but uh, Giants have not been great handling tight ends. Goddard is a very good one. He has a good relationship with Hertz. throwing the ball. Hertz will go over the middle of the field. Goddard could make hay in this one. You know, I know that the Eagles are well aware of Dexter Lawrence. We said that earlier, but use that like the boogeyman if you're the Giants defense. Move them around. We just said they don't move them around. They don't put them on yeah. the edge. Move him him around. Five them around. The, put them on the edge. Like, yeah. Put them in a couple places where the Philly offensive line is looking for him and goes, whoa, 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 he's over there. Uh, We haven't seen that before. Again, mix it up a little bit, a little bit different than what I said on offense, which is run what you brung. Change it up on defense. Take take that absolute physical marvel and see if you can get him a loop stunt see if you can get him a double team because if he can do all that by himself imagine if you give him some schematic help um look you're already giving up yards to the run philly's very good uh, the way they stabilized their team last year was going back to the run and pounding people so that's a known put him out in some unexpected places and see if he can't bring some heat i have a vision in my head of uh Dexter
1: Lawrence standing up (laughs) why not why not like if you're gonna loop him, stand him up at least make at least make Jalen look over there
2: and be like the fuck are they doing (laughs) what is that yeah that's what I want a couple of times out of the defense because look if you put this one on paper and you just match it up and this is why they play the games on grass not on paper if you just put it on paper you go wow Philly's got a good offensive line They run the ball really well with Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts when he gets involved in the run game. And the Giants are not a good team at stopping the run. Average per rush is way up there, the 30th in the league. Yep, (laughs) we know what's going to happen. So do something to try and mix it up. Like you said, if you lose, you go down swinging. Um, It's your last game of the year anyways. It's already a successful
1: season. Who cares? 100%. Yeah. 100%. And if they make the... (laughs) To make the conference cha- they win this game and they make the conference championship. They're the team of destiny. Straight up. <laughs> like to go from where they were in August, yep. or really where they were last, last December, January this time, to conference championship game would be one of the most remarkable things I have seen covering this sport in 10 years. And you basically just hand Brian Dable Coach of the Year at that
2: point. Yeah, I was going to say, if Dable does not win Coach of the Year, if that happens, it's rigged it's rigged straight up rigged oh man there's
1: actually another guy that people have a legitimate case for coach of the year but i don't think he's gonna win it just because people are aware of how strong the roster is and that's kyle shanahan
0: what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
1: So let's get to Cowboys 49ers. There, There has been a groundswell of support for Shanahan. Because everybody is thinking, okay, arguably the best team in the league. You know, either them or Philly or or, or KC are the common answers for best team in the league. They're on their third quarterback, who was the last pick of the draft that nobody believed in, that came into camp basically as QB4. This is incredible. And something that should be commended with, say, a Coach of the Year Award. I totally get that point. But at the same time... (laughs) At the same time, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Kyle Uzcheck, uh, the list goes on and on and on. Oh, by the way, Trent Williams. Oh, by the way, Spencer Burford having a great year at guard. Like the offensive line is is really really talented. Oh, by the way, the defense might be the best in the league. Like th- there is an argument that what Kyle Shanahan has done is is incredible, but I think it's the fact that Brian Dable is also on this stage with definitely not the 49ers roster that that makes me push that over the top. But anyway, let's get to Cowboys 49ers in terms of schematic matchup. This was a very hard game for me to prepare for because we're flying blind in a lot of ways. Uh, The Cowboys have only faced 21 personnel on four plays this year. They just, they've barely seen it. And I think they were against the Bears. Like in terms of true 21, I'm not talking like two halfbacks on the field. I'm talking fullback on the field, running back. I'm pretty sure Kari game was the only fullback they've actually seen this year. It was a long time ago, long okay. time ago. So we have almost nothing to go on. This is all theory crafting. Um, what we do know is that the 49ers, as an offense, see more cover three than anybody else. They get it 50% of the time, total which is insanely high. And it also makes a lot of sense because they do play a lot of 12 personnel and 21 personnel, and they run the ball so much. So people are like, we're putting a safety down there. We're playing cover three, and we're going to we're gonna live and die by that. The problem is they also shred cover three better than almost everybody else. Not necessarily um, deep as much. That's why they drafted Trey Lance, is they wanted to be able to threaten it deep more. But the way that they use personnel and motion – and misdirection to space out zones in cover three. They do that better than everybody else to create very easy throwing lanes, uh, you know, in between all these bodies, you know, like we talked about uh, yesterday's show, the Jags struggled against cover three from the chargers. They were not doing a good job of spacing everything out. Everything was getting funneled to the inside. Lawrence was having to throw, um, you know, all these contested catches through a forest of hands, Niners have no issue spacing people out through misdirection and motion and, and play action, all that kind of stuff. And so it's kind of a death sentence to play cover three against them because you're going to die. You'll, you'll die slowly, but you're going to die. And so what I kind of want to see from the Cowboys is a lot of man coverage. I want to see them plaster guys, stick to them. You know, don't try to get caught up you know, with your eyes in the backfield tracking motion and saying, Oh, I gotta push over here. Um, you know, because that's what that's what my scheme says I gotta do in this zone where if we get a new guy, you know, coming off a, a, a jet motion, I have to push out to it because that's gonna leave space where somebody else has to then think and react and they might be a step late and all of a sudden you got Kittle getting the ball in space. I want man, I want people to know pre-snap, that's my guy. I'm going to stay within four yards of him before the snap. That is my guy. And if he gets open on me, he gets open on me. But we're going to make Purdy throw it. We are going to make him throw against man. Four out of his six turnover-worthy plays since he started playing in week 13, which is a very low total of turnover-worthy plays, by the way. But four out of those six were against man coverage. They have to make him make tough throws that are contested throws against man. And they can do that. They absolutely can. Um, In addition to that, what I also want to see is, especially when we get 21 personnel in the field or 12 personnel in the field, and we're thinking it's a running situation, which is exactly when Kyle likes to call boots and and get Purdy out on the move and throw in these crossing routes and stuff like that. I want them to do a five-man service and basically – say, okay, we're going to play outside zone with this five-man surface, two linebackers behind it, and I want Micah on the weak side edge. Not the strong side edge over the tight end. I want him on the weak side edge regardless of where that is, whether it's left, right, to the boundary, to the field, whatever it is. I want him on the weak side edge and I want his one job to be go get Brock Purdy. I'm not chasing Christian McCaffrey on the backside of outside zone. I know they run outside zone the fourth most in the league. It's like almost 40%, 37% to be exact. They run it a shitload. I don't care. I'm going to let the rest of the defensive line and the linebackers handle that. I'm going to let the safety come down and, and, you know, kind of fill that backside running lane um, because I trust him to do that. But I don't want Brock Purdy getting out on boots. And I think that, You know, some people might say, okay, well, why do you have to use Micah for that? Why can't you use DeMarcus Lawrence? Why can't you use a defensive lineman? Why does it have to be Micah? Here's my answer. I want him on the weak side every play because he is one of the only athletes good enough to get Purdy on the ground. We have seen Purdy so many times this year. Again, we talked about how quick he is, how shifty he is. Even when you send somebody after him, he gets out of the tackle, and once he escapes, he can then reset and make the throw. He is so good at avoiding negative plays that I want to match, this sounds crazy to say, I want to match athlete for athlete in space. So Micah's one job in this game is to hunt down bootlegs and take that away and force them to run and run and run. And if Christian McCaffrey's getting 30 carries, I trust our guys to hold that to less yards than Purdy getting Six bootlegs where he's completely clean and he can throw it down the field. I would rather they try to beat us that way than through boots. And if we're also playing man coverage um, and maybe we can get a couple sacks that way with Micah, now we're in business. Now we can stop a couple drives and give Dak a chance to match, you know, blow for blow on them. But all this this zone stuff, cover three, it's not going to fucking work. It's never worked for anybody since Purdy took over. So don't do it. That's my plan. Just don't do it. Play aggressive. And if they beat us, they beat us. But you can't wait for them to kill you slowly because they will.
2: So it's funny. We don't talk about these notes before we put them in there. But I have a very similar plan for how the Cowboys can keep up with a less specific uh, way to maximize that. And I agree with you. Trying to get Purdy with someone that's not an uber-athlete is not going to work, and strangely enough, committing Micah to that backside weak side actually lets them play to the strength on those outside zone runs with guys like DeMarcus Lawrence who are better at setting the edge. Now, Micah can set an edge, but he can also keep up with the cat quick Purdy, and I don't know that the Cowboys have another guy, so I love the suggestion. My suggestion is just that the defensive line needs to play good contain, and if they use Micah as the Uber enforcer to do that, cool. It might just work. Trying to get pressure on Purdy has been a very difficult task because of that escapability, and let's be honest, the San Francisco offensive line, really, really good at their jobs too. Mm -hmm. But you got to take a shot because otherwise, yes, they will overwhelm you. They are that tidal wave. They will take you down with every sort of opportunity on offense creating something that they just, the sum total of those parts by the end of the game, if you don't gamble to knock them down, is going to be too much. I don't care if Dak plays lights out like he did last weekend. If they don't do that, the 49ers get to roll into everything that they like. They get to Mm -hmm. operate in their comfort zone. And making Purdy uncomfortable, both on the pass rush side and – you talked about Mike as the agent for that. And that backside, man pressure, right? You need to bump these guys. You need to say, hey, they're going to beat me one-on-one some. But I'm not just going to let them take all the space underneath. Because if I do, it's give an inch, take a mile. That's the 49ers offense in a nutshell. And you're going to have to do something to try and make that happen. It hasn't worked for anybody else. But again, take your shot. Shoot your shot. This is your last game to do this. If it doesn't work, you're out anyways. So Mm -hmm. we all know what happens if you sit back and play it straight. If you do that, they're going to win. And would you really, if your goal or your
1: plan includes giving Debo five yards of space after he catches the ball to make a move rather than one yard of space, you're going to lose.
2: Like you can't give him space. You just can't. No. And it's an impossible task. We should, uh, not impossible. Impossible suggests that it can't be done. It, of course, can be done. It is a very difficult task. The 49ers have made it so with a great combination. You talked about awards at the top and coach of the year. It almost feels like there should be, and maybe it's the Lombardi trophy, but maybe there should be an award for organization of the year. Because when you combine the personnel acquisition the coaching on both sides of the ball. It is the best in the league. And the actual play on the field, the Jimmys and Joes. The 49ers are at the top of the heap. Honestly, you could say in all three of those categories. Maybe you could say the Eagles are better in personnel acquisition. Their coaching's not quite. Their Jimmys and Joes, very close. But I would still give the edge to the 49ers if you're just going spot for spot on rosters. It's the overall organization, not just Kyle. Kyle's done a great job, but John Lynch and his staff did a great job. And, you know, Brock Purdy, the offense, and everybody on defense. We could talk about Fred Warner as the captain of the defense. They're all doing a great job. And we talk about this team vibing. It's this organization vibing. It's not just the team, it's everybody. And that makes them very tough to overcome.
1: I I think you said it best. The Lombardi Trophy is that award. (laughs) Will be this (laughs) year, Unfortunately, though, you know, you got to go through a lot of steps to get it. And sometimes, especially against a team like the Cowboys, that on paper are still very talented, but still not quite to the level of 49ers. If Dak is playing the same way he did last week, where he's hitting every single throw unconsciously, if CD's playing his ass off, if these tackles are are you know handling Nick Bosa or at least not dying from Nick Bosa um you know if you can get like one catch one key third down catch against Fred Warner they could still lose Cowboys can still go to the championship game here i am not completely ruling it out it's going to take a herculean effort for them to do it but it is a closer game than i think people give it credit for because
2: some people maybe don't want to admit this, the Cowboys are really good too. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is a classic matchup. This is One of the things I love about this matchup is it harkens back to all the battles these teams have waged over the years. Like, Cowboys, Niners, there is lore here. Mm-hmm. These teams have played huge games with huge stars for huge stakes, and this sort of feels like a rekindling of that, a reignition of that sort of place in NFL history which is really fun if you dig into it Cowboys offensive needs like Dak has to stay sharp he's not going to be as sharp as he was versus Tampa for a couple of reasons the Niners are better than Tampa in just about <laughs> every way they're not going to give him the amount of time and space that the Buccaneers did and D'Amico Ryans isn't going to call country cover three inside the 20 it's not going to happen you're not going to get the freebies So he's got to stay sharp, and he's got to hit guys when they come open. And yes, those are going to be more contested throws on the other side as well. And they're going to have to lean on players as a second receiving option other than Dalton Schultz. And why I say that is we know C.D.'s going to get his. He's the primary. I think the Niners know that too. They know he's going to win some of those routes. Schultz is the straw that stirs their chain-moving drink. Mm-hmm. Right When they need something mid to long to keep it going, it goes to Dalton Schultz. It did last week. It has all season. That means some combo platter of Gallup, Brown, and Hilton are going to have to step up and take some of those receiving yards against, I want to say, lower-tier San Francisco defenders, but they're all pretty high-tier defenders. If I'm D'Amico Ryans, and this sounds nuts, I'm bracketing Dalton Schultz with Fred Warner and Hafanga. Oh, that's not crazy at all. I'm, I'm saying, nope, mm-hmm. you don't get him. You get your CD, that's fine, but you don't get any Dalton Schultz. I'm going to erase Dalton Schultz, and you're going to have to go to your realistically third, fourth, and fifth receiving options to make that happen. Uh, because if they do that, it's going to make Dak uncomfortable. They're going to be hitting him. We saw one of the Cowboys tackles go down. We'll see what his health is. We don't know as of the time of this whether or not Peters is going to play Uh, if they don't, there's some reshuffling there. Smith filled in admirably. It's not a, it's not a gimme. It's not like the Jackson Carmen situation in in Cincinnati, but look, Bosa's going to come Bosa, Bosa beats everybody healthy or not. So again, hit Dak, take away his second best security blanket as a, as a receiving threat. And then, you know, be ultra aggressive at all three levels like you have all year, um, that's probably going to be enough for san francisco to win this game but i would lock dalton schultz down and i know that doesn't people are like dalton Schultz. you like no lock dalton schultz down and see how that cowboys offense stumbles and misses some series and can't continue drives without him
1: and the at the same time Charvarius against cd Charvarius is one of the corners that i think could actually do okay against well not even do okay i think Charvarius is amazing um but i think that if we're getting Traverius one on one against CD, that's a matchable matchup I'm comfortable with. And if we're getting an inside out bracket on Schultz, um, I'm very comfortable with that. And then it's, as you mentioned, it's it's up to everybody else to to kind of do their bit. And you know Pollard I think can can make some noise. Maybe if we just get a couple catchers from Gallup, to that that'll be big. But you take away Mister Third Down for them, and you make them play left handed. It it is it is tougher for the cowboys to overcome that um i would also say from a schematic standpoint we know that especially in the second half um, and especially in obvious passing situations the 49ers play a lot of cover two because they have the luxury of fred warner being that pole runner in the deep middle so if they're not going to bracket schultz it will be when they're in these kind of obvious cover two looks. That is when you know that if I'm going to get a one-on-one for him, it's not going to be deep, by the way, because cover two, they they don't really let anybody go deep in cover two. But that's when it's like, okay, it's stick routes against the hook zone defender. If, um, you know, typically when they run cover two, it's going to be palms. And so there are certain ways that you can beat palms coverage if the number one receiver outside is CD. If you can kind of have Schultz work like a, a really late developing option route to the point where if CD's hauling ass down the field, the corner in Palms' coverage, if the number two breaks out, the corner's supposed to break on that and take that away. But if, he, if Schultz is taking a long time to run this route, and this is how teams like to beat Palms, is he kind of just like slow plays it corner's going to be out of there because he has to run under CD. And at that point, the linebacker's expecting help, and if he's breaking outside, the linebacker sometimes will just let it go. So if you want to get Dalt's free catches on third down, you wait for them to get into that cover two look that they love so much, and then you run uh, stuff against the hook zone defenders because Fred's not going to be there. Hafunga's not going to be there. There's going to be no bracket. And if you can do that enough times, then you can almost kind of get them back into, okay, we're going to play more of seven bracket or you know one double i can't remember what schultz is the like 87 or something like that one double 87 uh which sounds odd to say for a tight end but th- they would do that and then we can we can work the other stuff to cd um so schematically there are ways for them to get schultz involved but it kind of requires first seeing how d'amico ryan's going to play this thing if d'amico plays it the way he normally does which is a lot of cover two in the second half there are yards to be made, but I don't know if if that's going to happen yet. We're going to have to see what actually happens in the game because who knows, D'Amico could come out with something entirely different. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of different kind of micro matchups and micro schematic decisions that that could have a massive, massive impact, not just in the Cowboys' offense, but the result as a
2: whole. Yeah. and the San Francisco offense, we talk about them being really talented and, you know, a wave that just rolls over people specifically. If you want to counter that game plan that you came up with of how are we going to, how are we going to counter Micah screaming off the edge, trying to destroy Brock Purdy every play I'm going to have Kittle and use tech Kittle and use check chip like every play, mm-hmm. by the way, did you see juice decleat Trent? No. Where <laughs> by accident in the last game? <laughs> Mm mm-hmm no I didn't see that yeah he went to shoulder block a guy that was coming in the guy dipped and he hit Trent and he took Trent Williams off his feet (laughs) I mean juice is
1: ripped so that makes
2: sense I'll find you the clip but like you need to be pounding these guys so that when every play you're pounding these guys whether it's pass play or not run play obviously drive them into the dirt we know both of those guys are, are sort of monstrous run blockers but even on pass plays make them earn it so that when they come they're they're a little bit used up both of those guys lawrence and parsons hobbled off in the game came back everybody's dinged up at this time of year make sure there's a physical toll and they can't just pin their ears back and come free and the and the niners have some very good maybe the best in the league blocking weapons to do that but make sure it is consistent hit those guys. It's like receivers that don't like to get hit across the middle. Hit them every time they go across the middle, right? Hit those pass rushers every time they want to come screaming off the edge. And then, account for Deron Bland on zone runs versus nickel. Because mm-hmm. for the Cowboys, Deron Bland is a freaking hammer. He's they fun. put him at nickel <laughs> and he will come for some of those outside zone runs that the 49ers love to use. And If they don't account for him, he's going to screw some of those up. He's going to make some TFLs. So, again, use your very talented blockers. Ayuk is a great and ferocious blocker when he wants to be, so is Debo. Like, make sure you get a guy on Duran Bland. Do not let him come free. Do not let him take that little two-shuffle step inside nickel blitz on run, which they will do to try and cut off that outside zone run that the 49ers love to do. So those are the sort of specifics for the San Francisco offense, which we just sort of put a halo over and say oh they're really good they're well coached they're schemed up they got a ton of guys like those are some specifics i would use to try and attack this cowboys d and get rolling and get those points and and look there's a lot of pressure on the cowboys offense but one of those pressures strangely enough is the san francisco offense Mm -hmm. right the san francisco offense is just this big lurking thing out there that if they keep rolling up points you're gonna feel that pressure mount we've got to put up points Maybe Dak starts to press. Maybe he does get back into that gambler mode. So we talk about the ways the Cowboys could kind of leverage the 49ers out of what they want to do. One of the ways the 49ers can leverage the Cowboys, out what they want to do is just keep scoring points, right? Just keep turning the pressure up. Keep turning the heat on the water up until it starts to boil. And then somebody's going to have to press. And we've seen Dak when he's pressed this year, The results haven't been great, so it's odd to think that one offense can pressure another, but the 49ers, the way they're built, absolutely can. You do look at the scoreboard at some point and go, ooh, we got to get some here.
1: Now, based on all of the information that you've all heard for the last 40 minutes on these two games, I did put together prize pick slips for both of them based on stats, tape study, everything we've done for the last four days. For this game specifically, 49ers Cowboys, uh, I did over CD on 77 and a half because I think um, Dak will have to throw a significant amount of time, and I do think that if we are if we are locking down Schultz on third downs, they will throw a shitload of CD. And even though Charveris is a tough matchup, I do think that CD can win it. Mm-hmm. I do, and 77 and a half is a pretty light line, so I'm going with that. I'm going to go over on that. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, I'm going over 65.5 rushing yards because I do think that they are going to be sending people after Purdy and leaving those backside cutback lanes open for Christian to hit. Uh, 65.5, I think his total on rushing plus receiving is like over 100, but 65.5 rushing specifically felt pretty generous, so I went there. Um, Debo, I did over 55.5 receiving um, because I think if we are seeing not just man coverage, but if we're seeing pressures... And we're playing the run on the way to the quarterback. It's possible we get Debo involved in the screen game to kind of alleviate that and uh, you know manufacture space for him to work, so to speak. So fifty-five and a half over for him. Purdy, I went under one and a half passing touchdowns because I do think the mm-hmm. Dallas defense is going to play better than people think. Niners are still going to score, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be Purdy throwing them. And then I did uh, Prescott under two fifty and a half passing. Not that he won't have a nice day, but 250 against this defense is a little bit of a stretch for me. So uh, that is my slip overall there. And then I forgot to mention it the Giants Eagles slip that I put together. I did Daniel Jones over 35 and a half passing attempts because they're probably going to need it (laughs) just looking at the matchup here. I did Richie James over 42 and a half receiving. Because I think against all the quarters that the Eagles run, um, there is going to be some space underneath for all like the shallow cross stuff that Richie does. Um, I think that we can get him working on you know maybe some some deep outs to the boundary when the safeties are leveraged inside. He runs that route really well, so we only needed a couple catches for that to pay off. So I felt good about it. I did Saquon under 98 and a half rushing and receiving combined. That's based on my big belief in the Eagles' defensive front in this game. I did Miles Sanders over 63 and a half rushing against the Giants defense mm. seemed like 20 yards less than I expected. So I did over 63 and a half for him. That was pretty easy. And then I did Jake Elliott over one and a half field goals made because I expect the Eagles to make uh, plenty of red zone appearances in this one. So uh, those are my two slips. Remember, if you want to tail them or fade them because you think I'm an idiot, Promo code bootleg over at Prize Picks will match your deposit up to $100, so you can use that extra 100 bucks on either these games or, you know, maybe the championship week or Super Bowl. If you're going on a run the next three weeks, go for it. Either way, you get 100 free bucks to work with on the platform, uh, and uh, they're pretty pretty generous lines. You only need to win three out of five to to make money on it. So, uh, quick reaction, EJ, to these slips. Anything that stood out to you?
2: godspeed young better trying to figure out kyle shanahan's offensive distribution (laughs) Um, for whatever we think he might do he will do something else you are famously on record um, certainly in the fantasy world of picking options you thought he was going to use and didn't Um, so good luck there and you also bet on a kicker which you know sort of breaks a rule but i broke that one too this year so uh, you know, in general I think there's some really favorable lines and if you're betting on these prize picks, mix and match. Pick the ones you like the best. There's a couple in there that make me go, uh eh, there's a couple in there, uh, like the Miles Sanders one that make me go, and the Saquon one too, that are like, huh, I all right. That seems that seems a little low. I'll go with that. So mix and match. Take the ones you like the best, put together a five or, or six parlay slip and and go from there um i think there's money to be made in these games boy betting on kyle Shanahan' offensive distribution is always a fun time
1: and that's why uh i only went with two niners weapons so that if both of them screw me over i still make money so because i fully anticipate that they will
2: well played well played
1: uh we'll be back next week with uh It'll only be one episode because we only have two games to talk about. It'll be the conference championship preview special, as well as recapping all of these uh, four division games. That's going to be a monster show. So we'll see you next week for that. Uh, Thank you once again to all of our executive producers for helping to make this possible. Murat, Consti, Caden, Andrew, Taylor, Liam. Connor, Joey, and Mike. We appreciate and love all of you guys. If you guys want to also support the show on Patreon and help us kind of do what we do, um, that link is also down in the description below. And if you want to join the executive producer tier with all these guys, that would be even better. But, uh, you know, no pressure. Wink, wink, nice, much. But uh, anyway, EJ, that'll do it for us. We'll see you guys next week and until then, later. Take care.